I'm Teresa Zoe Williams, and this is Up Too Late. Welcome back. It's been a while. My family used spring break to vacation at the Grand Canyon, and I just didn't have enough time to get another episode written and recorded before we left. You know, writing, performing, and recording your own podcast is like kind of a lot of work. Who knew? Scripting takes an enormous amount of time. It's a lot more work than two dudes talking about a chosen subject makes it look. Not to rag on those podcasts or anything. But anyway, so we went to the Grand Canyon, and it really is as majestic as it's made out to be. Truly a highlight of my life to see it in person. You know, right up there with, like, the Sistine Chapel. But of course, my kids' favorite part of the trip was the 30 minutes we spent in the hotel pool. All those pool chemicals must really screw with their brains. If the ultra-conservative, traditionalistic Catholics need something else to crusade against, I nominate chlorine. No Disney, no Starbucks, no public pools. Certainly would make social distancing easier. Okay, so vacation is my first excuse for not getting an episode out in a while. And then last Friday was Good Friday, It just would have been rude to release an episode on the one day all year we're supposed to be somber. That didn't stop me from thinking of a few jokes, though. Like, what did the bad thief say to Jesus? Haven't seen you hanging around before. All right, that was bad. I know. I'm sorry. No more. No more. I promise. Welcome to the show. Jesus didn't make excuses for loving his neighbor, and neither should you. Wear a mask and get the COVID-19 vaccination as soon as you can. Now for the drink of the day. Lent is over. I can drink alcohol again. I have missed you, rum. But I'm not even drinking rum today. Gotta get back into it, you know, ease back into it. <laughs> not how I sounded on Easter, although a little bit stumbling over my words. Um, so today what I'm drinking is what we had with our Easter dinner, which is a pomegranate wine from Colorado Winery. It was delicious on Easter with the lamb, and it's delicious now. Pinkies out, everyone. For this week's dramatic reading of scripture, a tale we just heard on Easter Sunday from the Gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. On the first day of the week, Mary of Magdala came to the tomb early in the morning, while it was still dark, and saw the stone removed from the tomb. Women get up early and get stuff done. But really, this is what I love about Mary Mags. She's so devoted that nothing keeps her away. Okay, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and told them, They have taken the Lord from my tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple went out and came to the tomb. You know, it takes women to get the men in gear. Boys need women to get their butts in gear to be the men they're supposed to be. Back to the story. So both ran, 
but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and arrived at the tomb first. John is giving Peter such shade here, and I am here for it. He bent down and saw the burial clothes there, but did not go in. Okay, so this is actually one of the verses where we get our understanding of the primacy of Peter from, and why Peter was the first pope, etc. Look at me, a woman, knowing things. When Simon Peter arrived after him, he went into the tomb and saw the burial clothes there, and the cloth that had covered his head, not with the burial clothes, but rolled up in a separate place. I love this attention to detail. We don't usually get that from men. But John is different, right? He's the beloved disciple. The love of Jesus really does transform you. Then the other disciple also went in, the one who had arrived at the tomb first, and he saw and believed. Okay, I've been ragging a bit on John, but he really was incredibly humble, and this line shows it. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. Again, I really love John's humility here. He's openly admitting for people for thousands of years to see and reflect on that he just didn't get it yet. That's a heaping full of hope for a whole bunch of people out there. Not me, though. Clearly, I already know things. Then the disciples returned home. On with life, as they say. The end. All right, it's been a while, so it's time for another edition of Hashtag Alt Catholic Programming. I dug deep for this one, like way into the archives before this was an actual thing, and it was just a joke on Twitter. So I think you'll be pleased with what I've found. This first idea comes from at Tau Power, the real housewives of the permanent diaconate. <laughs> I adore this idea. Have cameras follow around the wives of all the deacons of a certain diocese and see what's up. This is the kind of inner look into living your vocation we desperately need. Next, how about a Mary and Martha style cooking competition? At Andy Shaggy Cordy suggested this, with the premise of Martha doing all of the work while Mary sits around. I propose it this way. Participants will be paired up, a Mary with a Martha, if you will, and the teams will compete to put on the best dinner party. Will Mary ever get her butt off the ground to help out? Or will her welcoming nature win over the guests? Will Martha ever chill? Or will her perfectionism skyrocket their team to victory? Tune in to find out. Okay, here's a fantastic idea. Holy site pilgrimages led by Tommy Ty and Haley Stewart with their families. Okay, kids running amok everywhere, lots of praying, good humor, good food. In baseball, we'd call this home run. Thank God baseball season's back, by the way. But we can't guarantee no crying, because even though there's no crying in baseball, there are always tears in the Catholic life. This next idea comes from at mage underscore Jen underscore Stanley, a mini-series about the Reich Deputations Shop Schlush of 1803. 
Okay, I practiced saying this word so many times, and I still can't count how many takes it took for me to get it right, or as right as you're hearing it. (laughs) Anyway, so if you, like me, have no idea what this obscure piece of church history is, you'll want to check out this mini-series. You'll learn all kinds of things about something. It's a mystery of the faith. Okay, so how about a game of Guess Who, but Twitter-style? In this game, you'll have to match the Twitter troll's profile picture with their real picture, based on catchphrases and tweets only. Thanks for this fun idea, at Matt underscore K007. I think it's supposed to be read like K007. Sorry. Sorry, buddy. All right, and finally, one more idea from yours truly. An actual late-night comedy talk show. I know just who can host. (laughs) All right, don't forget to send me all your ideas for hashtag altcatholicprogramming on Twitter, or DM, or email, or Facebook if you're my aunt, or Instagram if you're really desperate. For this week's top 10, I bring you the top 10 movies that aren't Catholic, but might as well be. I conducted a very, very scientific Twitter survey to gather this data, and I think you'll see my findings are quite reliable. Okay, at number 10, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Pretty on the nose, but the movies aren't explicitly Catholic, and a wide audience enjoys them. Okay, there's no way I could leave these off this list. I'm not sure Caitlin of Tea with Tolkien would be my friend anymore if I did. So they're at number 10. But I love the movies too, and so does my baby. So, I mean, yeah, they're at number 10 for a reason, right? Okay, moving on. At number 9, we have the Kevin Smith film, Dogma. It's a movie about Catholicism by a Catholic, but probably isn't what you think of when thinking of Catholic movies. Plenty of non-Catholics love this film, and plenty of Catholics think it's heretical. Of course, plenty of Catholics think plenty of things are heretical that aren't actually heretical, like Pope Francis. Catholics who don't believe the Pope has authority are what we call Protestants, by the way. Alright, coming in at number 8, we have Juno. Not Catholic at all, but it has plenty of Catholic adjacentness beyond being nominally pro-life. It really is a great pro-life movie, though. And not just when she decides not to abort her baby. Okay, sorry, I should have put a spoiler alert there, but, you know, it's been out for, what, like 13 years now? If you haven't seen it, uh, that's kind of on you. Anyway, also, throughout, it's pro-life and how her parents care for her, what choosing life for a baby actually looks like for someone in a crisis pregnancy situation, and in how she and her friend-turned-boyfriend work things out. No life in this movie goes unappreciated or unsupported, and that's what being pro-life actually looks like, in case you needed a primer. Okay, enough of my rambling. At number seven is Sister Act. Yes, it's a movie about nuns, and what's more Catholic than nuns? Maybe the Eucharist, and that's about it. Okay, so, this whole movie revolves around what it means to be Catholic in the modern world. 
It's a perfect example of enculturation, which is a big Catholic word that basically means a parish doing what it's supposed to do, aka reaching out to its community to serve it and draw people into the church through use of the community's culture. It's pretty baller, and the songs are catchy. Okay, coming in at number six is Boondock Saints. Lots of praying? Check. Speaking in Latin? Check. Brothers on a mission from God? Check. I mean, the title pretty much says it all anyway. The cat scene might be my favorite, but that maybe is because I'm deathly allergic to those Satan's handmaidens. All right, at number five, we have Wonder Woman. With references to the saving power of sacrificial love and the understanding that at its core, humanity is good, you can't really ask too much more of a superhero movie as far as being Catholic-ish, right? It's a beautiful movie. It's really well done. Okay, at number four is a personal favorite of mine, The Lion King. I could go on and on about this one, and I have actually written an article about it. Um, So I'll just give you the quick rundown. Sin and Redemption, The Prodigal Son, The Kings of, of the Past as a Type of the Communion of Saints, and so much more. Can you feel the love of God tonight? I sure can. Coming in at number three is another animated classic, Disney's Sleeping Beauty. Okay, there are all sorts of Catholic references here, including to baptism and putting on the armor of God, true love's kiss, more like God's life-giving love, his breath of life. Be on the lookout for my upcoming book about fairy tale princesses and the Catholic faith, which will be coming out later this year. Okay, coming in at number two is The Incredibles. Families doing what families should, which is going on mission together, helping each other to grow, discover, and use their talents for the good of themselves and of society, and unconditional love. As Catholics, we should be promoting the family and in its proper way, which The Incredibles deftly shows us. It's such a great movie. One of my all-time absolute faves. I could write an article about the day I went and saw it in theaters and the shenanigans that ensued. My whole life is one big shenanigan, though, so I don't think you want that. If you do, let me know. Enough of my rambling. On to number one, we have the Blues Brothers. They're Catholic. They're trying to save the Catholic orphanage they grew up in. They get beat up by a nun. They're constantly proclaiming they're on a mission from God. And they use music to bring people together and bring joy. A practically perfect Catholic movie in every way. And that's this week's top ten. There were so many amazing answers to this Twitter inquiry that I couldn't even dream of including them all in one list. So there will definitely be a part two of this top ten. And then we'll have all the contenders duke it out celebrity deathmatch style to crown the best movie that isn't actually Catholic, but might as well be. Ever. Ever. Ever! Okay, this week's weird saint is St. Lawrence. Spring has finally sprung everywhere but where I live. 
and it's time to start dusting off those grills and getting ready to barbecue some brats and dogs to smoky perfection. St. Lawrence is the patron saint of cooks for famously saying while being roasted alive, I'm well done on this side, turn me over. For this reason, he's also, in a darker turn, the patron saint of tanners. This dude's quick tongue is what earned him a martyr's death in the first place, but he was cheerful and witty, clearly, to the bitter end. Just like I'll be. We celebrate St. Lawrence on August 10th, when all of our barbecuing is well underway so we can celebrate him perfectly. Thanks for joining me tonight, everyone. Special thanks to all of my listeners for allowing me to do something I love. And also a special thanks to Patrick Coffin for insisting women aren't funny and for having a ridiculous last name for me to use to prove you wrong. And thank you to everyone for joining me tonight for another episode of Up Too Late. You can always find me on Twitter at Teresa Zoe and on Instagram and Facebook at Teresa Zoe Williams. If you like this show, please, please consider becoming a patron on Patreon at patreon.com slash Teresa Zoe. God bless and keep you. Sleep well and have sweet dreams. May your guardian angel be close at hand and Mama Mary wrap you in her mantle. Go to sleep! That's a wrap. <laughs>